So this morning's reading is from Hebrews 4, chapter, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's a great delight to be uh, preaching to you this morning from Hebrews chapter 4. If you have a new sheet, you'll find a useful kind of diagram. Uh, well, I hope it's useful, anyway. Uh, bigger pictures give meaning to our lives. 
bigger pictures shape our lives and give significance to our daily tasks. So I'm teaching a new uh, course at Ridley College this year. So I said to the students as we begin this course, together we're investing in your future ministry uh, to people who are yet unborn. Because these young people, they're just young people. They'll be out doing ministry uh, for decades to come. So I said, uh, you don't know who these people are whom you'll serve in the future, but God does, so let's pray for them now. That is, I'm trying to give the students a bigger picture of studying other than I want to learn this skill or I need to pass the exam to there's a big purpose for this. And actually it is that I'll be a blessing to people in the future. Or parents awake at 3 a.m. <laughs> that was the parent, by the way, not the child. <laughs> uh, you've given birth to another image of God. What a privilege of caring for, providing for, loving and training another image of God. Bankers, you have an opportunity to serve other people, not least by providing a safe place for them to keep their money. Banks aren't always safe. We know of bank crashes, but generally speaking, banks are better than under the mattress. Street cleaners, I can't see one here, but anyway, street cleaners, you're not just picking up rubbish you're contributing to a safer and healthier and more pleasant environment and preventing rubbish trashing our rivers and our bay. Taxpayers, we have the privilege of loving our neighbours by paying our taxes. Isn't that beautiful? We contribute to the welfare of a society with every cent we pay. Roads, bridges, schools, hospitals, Education, pensions, you might need one, government, defence, crime reduction and overseas aid. What a privilege to pay taxes. And all of us have the opportunity to love our neighbours in the work we do or have done or will do and by taking every opportunity every day to love our neighbour. That gives real dignity to our days, doesn't it? Imagine if you thought, this is a Tuesday, how boring. And then you thought, today I can love God with my heart, mind, soul and strength and love my neighbour as myself. And a bigger picture helps us to understand the Bible, especially how the Old Testament points forward to Christ and how Christ is the yet to all, yes to all of God's promises. So I've begun with a map. Uh, I must say, uh, I wasn't very good at geography at school, uh, and I remember drawing a map of Australia and thinking that the Great Australian Bight was pretty boring. So I added a number of fjords on the way across just to make it more interesting. This was not regarded as an improvement uh, by the geography teacher who was a literalist, I think that was his problem. But here's a useful map, well I think it is anyway. 
It's a way of thinking about the relationship with the, the Old and New Testament. The, the temple, the house of God in the Old Testament is a visible sign of the Christ to come because God dwelt in the temple, God would later dwell in Christ, the word made flesh. The priests and sacrifices are, the work of the priest and the sacrifices offered are effective for forgiveness, for worship and so on. But they too, as we know from Hebrews, point forward to the great sacrifice of Christ made once for all. And rest in the land, that is the very provision of the land as a place to live, and prosperity and safety in the land, and the rest provided by the Sabbath, both of them point forward to the rest which we find in Jesus Christ. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And of course, the kings of the Old Testament uh, point forward to Christ, and Jesus is the prophet promised in the Old Testament. But that uh, fulfillment comes in Christ in, if you like, two stages. That there is rest now that Jesus gives us, but there is a bigger rest, a fuller rest, a more complete rest when Jesus returns. Uh, Peter puts it this way, this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, the word used of the land in the Old Testament. You might say a rest that can never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance, this rest, is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that will be revealed at the last time. So when we're reading the Old Testament, we can see visible signs of the Christ to come, or if you like, glimpses of future glory. Now, as Elizabeth read, you, you'll know that... Uh, Rest is such an important idea in this chapter. So here's a little timeline. There's the rest of Genesis 1 when God rested from his labors. There is the rest in the land uh, which was uh, achieved through Joshua conquering the land and God gave the people rest. Then there is the rest of Psalm 95 written later than Joshua's entry into the land then there is rest in Christ now, and then there is rest when Christ returns. So the big picture of this chapter is that there is a land, an inheritance promised by God, I will give you this land. The land is a free gift to God's people, providing safety, food and drink, prosperity, a place to settle down and call home, and a place where God would settle down and make his home among his people in the temple uh, in Jerusalem. 
And the promise of entering that rest is there for people in the Old Testament and also points forward to the rest available to believers in Christ. For people in the Old Testament, uh, this meant entering the promised land and living in it and enjoying it and enjoying God's presence. For believers in Christ, it means entering the fullness of life in Christ, all his blessings in this life and in the life to come. Now, if you uh, look at the passage with me, you'll see there's a kind of beginning and end of the rest section with verse 1 and verse 11. Please look at the text, which is in the uh, new sheet. Verse 1 says, Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. And verse 11, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Verse 2 is about the good news of God's gift. We've also had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Verses 3 and 4 about the eternal rest. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God had said, so I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest and yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says they shall never enter my rest. So it's not our rest, it's God's rest we enter. Then he explains why it's not just Joshua bringing people into the land, but a later message of importance. For if Joshua had given them rest, that is if they had actually lived at peace and safety and prosperity in the land, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. We'll discover later on in Hebrews that even people in the Old Testament knew that the land which they were entering was just a promise of a future. Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, that is the land, obeyed in went, and went, though he did not know where he is going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For, listen to this, he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So the Old Testament isn't about real estate. The land is a promise of a big and better and eternal future. Again from Hebrews 11. All these people were still living by faith when they died. 
They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. And if you know the book of Hebrews, you'll know in chapter 12, the writer tells us that we have come, we have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. Well, there's a promise of a land and a challenge. The promise of entering that rest still remains. Is, the, is our response, the people's response, faith, that is trust in God's promise, receiving what God has, has offered, or disobedience? Make every effort to enter that rest. Let us make every effort. For you see, the land is a free gift which it is costly to receive. It's like receiving a husband or a wife, isn't it? You can't earn a husband or a wife. They're a free gift of God, but it may be costly to receive that free gift. It's like a child. You don't earn a child. A child is a free gift of God. How kind. But there may be some cost to raising children when they're one month, two months, three months, four months, five years, 20 years, 40 years. Friends are a gift of God, but sometimes friendships are costly. So the warnings of Hebrews chapter 4 are warnings to encouragements to pay the price for receiving a free gift. It's like the parable that Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So, not an exact parallel, but the pearl was a gift which cost him to receive. And God's provided a sword, not to capture the land, but to capture our hearts. For the word of God, the Bible, is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. By the way, double-edged sword we use in English in a different way. We mean it's a sword which you might damage yourself, but actually a double-edged sword was just, it was sharpened on both sides, so I won't describe what you did with it, but it worked whichever way you... Jolly useful, really. But not for a knife. Please don't have a double-edged knife. You would damage yourself severely. But the Word of God is God's 
method of correcting us and training us to enter that rest. For it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to we must give account. So please don't think that hearing the Bible read or reading the Bible yourself is just a kind of mindless duty. When you're reading the Bible, we are inviting God to penetrate the deepest thoughts of our hearts and to change us. It's a powerful sword in God's hand. It is alive and active because God, the speaker of the word, is alive and active. We use the word hard-hearted about those who are stingy towards others. But actually the hard heart now is a heart which is stubborn against God. My mother was uh, converted at the age of 56, a year after I was, and became enthusiastically Christian. I remember looking out the window uh, uh, my mother was a small woman, five foot two. Next door lived a very big surgeon. He was an enormous man. And my mother was standing next to him going like that, telling him he had to be born again. Uh, I don't think he was, but anyway, she was having her best go at it. And her two sisters and her mother were very uh, distressed about this sudden uh, fanatical religion and said, uh, Mary, you're going soft in the head. Her reply was, better than hard in the heart. But there's no hard heart which can't be entered by the word of God. Isn't that encouraging? Many steps away from God, just one step to return to God. But not only a sword, but a son of God, a saviour. Verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Hebrews describes Jesus as the one who has ascended into heaven and as a forerunner on our behalf. That is, the one who's made the journey so that we can make the journey. He's found the way so he can be the way, so we can take him as our way and come into the presence of God. And his journey was not an easy one, uh, for he was tempted as we have been in every way. So we shouldn't think, well, it was easy for Jesus because as we read elsewhere in Hebrew, he, Hebrews, he learnt obedience through what he suffered. That is, if you think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, not, not my will but yours be done. It was not an easy journey for him, if you like, to enter that rest of God, 
to ascend into heaven. So he's a great encouragement. He's also one who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Verse 15, we don't have a high priest who's unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. And it's precisely in this area that we feel our weaknesses most severely, isn't it? It's not, it's not in our job or our daily lives. It is as we strive to enter that rest, as we uh, receive the powerful sword of God in our hearts, transforming us and changing us, then our weaknesses are exposed. But Jesus understands our weaknesses from the inside. And in him we find mercy for our failings and grace to help in time of need. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. A sword and a saviour. A sword and a son. Well, I stuck in a practical penknife at the end. It isn't quite a sword, but it's just something useful that you might do from this sermon and from your Bible study. Here's a piece of good advice from Uncle Peter. Uh, find one Bible verse for each day Memorize it, repeat it to yourself, put it into practice, and as you remember it during the work today, turn it into praise and thanks. A prayer for yourself, a prayer for others, words of repentance, or turn it into a promise that you believe. I was doing this the other day with a verse from Romans. Uh, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. So at every odd moment during the day, I reminded myself that my task today was to offer my body as a living sacrifice to God. And I tried to think of all the things I had to do that day as a living sacrifice offered to God. And I tried to make sure that my thoughts that day were living sacrifices offered to God. But as a matter of fact, uh, I was very tired that day. So I said to God, it's a very tired sacrifice being offered today, but I'm, I'm thankful that you receive even tired sacrifices and even forgetful sacrifices. Well, here are some words you might like to, you might like to take just one of these phrases and use it. Uh, let us make every effort to enter Jesus' rest. We must give account of ourselves to God. That's a, that's a good reminder every day, isn't it? Or Jesus, the Son of God, ascended into heaven. Make that your memory verse on Tuesday. You can praise Jesus for it. You can thank him for it. You can thank him for who he is. You can ask that fellow believers at St. Jude's will remember that Jesus, the Son of God, has ascended into heaven. Jesus sympathizes or empathizes, whichever word you prefer, with our weaknesses. How lovely to say every time you experience a weakness during the day that Jesus sympathizes with your weakness and praise him for that.
and ask him to make you more and more aware that he sympathises with your weakness. Or let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Useful pen knives to carry around. One a day, carry it, use it. I'm going to uh, pray uh, a prayer written by John Donne, poet and preacher. Let us pray. Bring us, O Lord, at our last awakening into the house and gate of heaven to enter into that gate and dwell in that house where there shall be no darkness or dazzling but one equal light. No noise or silence, but one equal music. No fears nor hopes, but one equal possession. No ends or beginnings, but one equal eternity in the habitations of thy majesty and glory, world without end. Amen.